outcome of the first global stock take contained in document FCCC/PA/CMA/2023/L.17. Hearing no objection, it is so decided. With these words, COP28 President Dr. Sultan Al Jaber announced on the 13th of December the approval of a historic deal and a breakthrough agreement in the fight against climate change. The global stock take, or what is now known as the UAE consensus, is the first ever climate deal to transition away from fossil fuel, and it has been unanimously approved by 198 nations in Dubai. This is significant in so many ways, as no previous COP text has mentioned moving away from oil and gas. Reaching this point wasn't easy. It took over two weeks of negotiations that intensified at the last days of the summit as several key players and countries were pushing for tougher language in the COP28 agreement to phase out fossil fuels, not just transition away or phase down as a choice of words. Countries were locked in a series of meetings to break the deadlock on the issue of fossil fuels, and the heated negotiations pushed the summit to extend for one more day until all countries can agree on the language used in the agreement. And with that, the COP28 Climate Summit came to an end this week after it brought together world leaders, activists, scientists and policymakers to address the urgent challenges posed by climate change. So what are the key things that we need to know about the new climate deal and the decisions made at this global gathering in Dubai? And how will they shape the trajectory of our planet's future? This is Beyond the Headlines and I'm your host, Sarah Forster. And in this episode, we'll unpack the key outcomes of the conference and examine the areas where the international community agreed or disagreed. Here's what the Executive Secretary of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or the UNFCCC, Simon Steele said after announcing the climate deal. I said in the plenary, we needed a global green light signaling it's all systems go on renewables, climate justice, and resilience. On this front, COP28 delivered some serious strides forward. Progress has been made. Tripling renewables and doubling energy efficiency. Operationalizing the loss and damage fund and making an initial down payment. A framework for the global goal on adaptation. I will leave the commentary and the analysis of all of that to yourselves. I'll just say that the many initiatives announced here are climate action lifelines, not the finish line. What I'm focused on is seeing these pledges converted into outcomes in the real economy, where the rubber really hits the road on climate action. Here's also how climate ministers from Denmark and the UK reacted to the deal moments after it was announced. Uh, not only a mentioning of fossil fuels, we, we have agreed as a global community that we need to move away from fossils. We're here in an oil state, surrounded by oil states, and almost 200 countries have said we need to move away from oil and gas. We need renewables instead. And this is fantastic. It's been a huge amount of work for uh, the UAE presidency and for all the parties coming together. And I really would pay tribute to the leadership shown by the UAE and Dr. Sultan Al Jabba in particular. But it's taken compromise on all sides. There are elements that we don't like 
in this agreement, but making 1.5 degrees, reflecting that in the text, the need for urgent action this decade was so important. And it's so important that we, we make, take those actions to ensure that Pacific Islands and others are on the absolute front line, that their voices are listened to, the science is listened to, and that's what the world has woken up to today, and we're pleased with this agreement. So breaking the deal down, it calls for a tripling of renewable energy capacity globally by 2030, speeding up efforts to reduce coal use, and accelerating technologies such as carbon capture and storage that can clean up hard-to-decarbonise industries. And now that there's an agreement, countries are responsible for delivering through national policies and investments. To understand more about that, we're joined now by Dr. Nawal Al-Hassani, who is the permanent representative of the UAE to the International Renewable Energy Agency, IRENA. She's also an acting assistant undersecretary for green development and climate change at the UAE's Ministry of Climate Change and Environment where she helps drive the country's climate action and ambitions towards net zero by 2050. Dr. Nawal, thank you for joining us. So let's start with the biggest deal at this COP, the UAE consensus. How do you see that agreement? And how was the road down towards that deal across the past two weeks? Well, thank you very much for having me. If I can describe how I feel now when you have this kind of recovery phase where where you are over a jet lag, but at the same time you have this withdrawal symptoms. So this is how we are feeling now. It has been the biggest thing that we have ever experienced in the UAE. and, And as we are very much used to host big events and engaged in big platforms. But this has been very, very different and very unique because for the first time, we had something like 100,000 participants in this COP, and that's a world record. UAE consensus is, is, is amazing. We are so excited about it. Everybody has been, we are still basically in, in, in this phase of this, did, did this really happen? Because nobody expected this to happen uh, because there has been a lot, a lot of hard work that put into it. Uh, what does it mean for the UAE? It's, it's going to be a continuation of a path that we have started decades ago. Uh, we will continue to do what we are doing through with our pledges to diversify our economy, our movements towards incorporating renewables. Uh, we are way above our, our targets. We know that we are going to be tripling our targets by 2030. We already have three of the largest solar plants in the world, the lowest cost in the world. We are already testing with wind, looking at geothermal, looking at different types of of renewables. Uh, At the same time, we have a very clear strategy and a roadmap on our net zero by 2050. That's something that we have been, again, uh, we we had an initiative developed into a strategy, and now we have the roadmap with all our different sectors. So for the UAE, um, I I don't see it. It's going to have a huge shift in our um, in our strategy or our initiatives because this is basically something that we have been and our leadership that has been pushing for us to plan for from years ago. Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed have said a few years back the day we are going to export our last barrel of oil is going to be a, a cause of celebration. So we have been investing in, in both in infrastructure, in talent, in partnership, in supply chain to ensure that we are ready for that day. And the official statement that came from the UN and even some analysts said that this deal signals the end of the fossil fuel age. What's your response to that? 
I think we have been looking into that, as I mentioned, for the UAE. This is something that we have been planning for, not because we we, we say it's not because we are going to run out of oil, but because there is huge potential for futures energy. There are different ways to to achieve your energy security, uh, to contribute to the uh, reduction of the of, of, of climate change, address our global challenges. So f- for the UAE, uh, it is not some, we, we don't see that as a threat. We see that as an opportunity. We look into this as an opportunity to step up our innovation, look into how we are going to diversify uh, our, uh, both our energy mix, but also our economy, uh, how we are going to uh, look into decarbonizing our one of our largest industries, which is oil and gas. So it, it, it is for us an opportunity to create new jobs, to create new sectors, to look into innovative way uh, in, into our very well-established sector. The UAE is the, um, if, if I, I think we are still the, the only OPEC country that not only exports oil and uh, oil, but also we export renewable energy and we export ex- export talent that are specialized in, in this new economy around the world. So now we know that countries must transition away from producing and using fossil fuels. What does that mean? And how can countries put that into action? Knowing that it's not just governments that have to act now, but also investors and consumers. I think every country will have its journey. Some countries, we, we, we heard many ministers saying that we've peaked a hundred two years ago with, with our um, fossil fuel uh, sector. So those, those such countries, will their, their cycle or their journey will be shorter than other countries who you know, are still in the development phase. So I believe every country will have will draw its roadmap. Every country will have its own priorities, and every country is going to see what you know where the potentials. Some countries will focus on uh, maybe uh, renewables. Other countries will look into other sectors. But to your point, it's not going to be only the government because there is no government in the world that will have you know the enough finance to fund that journey. I think it's it, not. I think I know it has to be a full collaboration between government, private sector, civil society, but also, which is something that, you know, uh, our presidency has called for, which is the reform of the international uh, financial system. The national financial system has to has to step up. Uh, we need to address the challenges that is uh, facing the uh, the developing countries in adapta- adoption uh, uh, of renewables and other uh, low carbon technologies and and climate uh, uh, climate friendly industries and sectors. So it, it has to be a collaboration. It has to have a platform for knowledge sharing and technology transfer. Uh, but I uh, it, it is going to be a different journey for for different countries and different regions. I think we can both agree that. This, this agreement is a major step towards a low-carbon energy system. And the, the text also includes details to triple the deployment of renewable power. How is that going to reflect um, on the UAE's projects and initiatives over time? Uh, this, we, 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 as a presidency and as a host of IRENA, we totally believe in, in that's something that's very doable. And this is something, you know, we, we have been working and and mobilizing climate uh, and mobilizing a global action about it because we wanted every country to 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 sign to that pledge because it's one of the core pillars of a future or the transition towards a sustainable future that leaves nobody behind the uae is very much ready we already above our targets what we set for 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 2020 and 2022 
and we are on track for tripling our our renewables target by 2030. So that's something that we are definitely moving aggressively and we have our investment not only domestically but also internationally and we have our local national companies that have already been in this sector for around uh, 20 years now. So we we know that we are going to, without any hesitation, commit to that target. And, and I believe we might even deliver before that deadline. Now, if we can just go back to the event itself, what are your initial reflections on the discussions and negotiations that took place at COP28, especially in the context of renewable energy? I was extremely optimistic about it. We, we, being the permanent representative to IRENA, I've seen the growth uh, within IRENA community. The IRENA now has uh, 168 members and a few more in consensus, which means that in accession, sorry, which means that uh, it's almost global uh, partnership, uh, global membership. Uh, but I also see, I've seen IRENA's pavilion in COP28. The, you didn't have even one hour that didn't have dialogues, discussions, events, uh, launches of those reports. With the work that IRENA has done throughout those years, uh, I've seen now a comprehensive understanding globally of the role the renewables will play into um, into the carbon reduction and into climate action moving in the future. Uh, we cannot transition uh into uh, a sustainable future without renewable energy that goes that goes without saying but we also know and this is something that this pledge is very unique and and for the first time we have introduced language on energy efficiency because we cannot depend on only supply we definitely need to reduce demand because there is a growth of of, of global energy demand and if we only focus on uh, the supply side uh, it's not going to be enough we definitely need to look into demand side management and this is why uh, the same goal or the same pledge uh, also uh, asked to double uh, on uh, on energy efficiency during cop28 understandably there were some challenges encountered during the negotiations my question to you is, how do you see the global community overcoming the worst of these challenges in the pursuit of a more sustainable future? I think we just did. I think we, with this historical announcement we did, I think suddenly we, and I credit clearly goes to everybody, we countries and organizations understood that we need to step up from our own national interest and look into the global interest. And we understood that climate change is not only one one country's or one nation's responsibility, we're all responsible. And I think we have have reached a level of maturity because of the science. We understood how what's happening and that understanding have led to to this historical moment. While while we, 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 we all face those challenges differently, but it, it is one planet and we are responsible for this one planet and, and we definitely need each one of us to play the role. We, it, it was tough, but I believe now we, as we say, uh, and as Dr. Sultan kept saying, we, we reached a level where we united, we acted and we definitely delivered. Now we need to see how we are going to implement uh, those agreements. So I guess now we're going to go back and uh, everybody's going to go back to their own uh, countries to understand their own resources, their own priorities, and how they can create that roadmap towards this global target. So looking forward, 
What are the next steps for the international community and organisations like IRENA in implementing the agreements made at COP28 and ensuring a sustained commitment to renewable energy and climate action? I think there are, I would refer back to the what Dr. Sultan shaped in his strategy as paradigm shifts, which is fast tracking energy transition, fixing finance, uh, empowering lives, lives and livelihood, and full inclusivity. I think we need to commit to those four pillars, which for each one of them, we had very clear pledges and targets that, you know, that not only the, 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 the GST have showed, but also every thematic day, we had an, uh, an announcement that uh, strengthened that. I think first thing first, we will need to build on the success of, of COP28. Uh, we need to see how we can uh, bring those funds that they were committed into implementation, how they can bring those finance solutions to where they are most needed and ensure that we are leaving nobody behind. We're very happy that as a legacy of COP28, now the youth uh, champion is going to be part of the COPs moving forward. This is how we look into the inclusivity of one of our main source of inspiration and hope, which is the youth. So I think just building on what happened, looking into the pledges and having a clear measurement of where we are and how we are uh, delivering on our promises. Thank you, Dr. Noel. That's it for today. Remember to subscribe to Beyond the Headlines podcast to get all the episodes as soon as they come out. This episode was produced by Doa Farid, Phil Green and Arthur Edison, and I'm your host, Sarah Forster.